How is everybody? Yeah. Rowdy 11 o'clock. Love it. Um, okay, so I got, a, I got a fun story for you. Um, so yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, right? And so I have two daughters, which most of you know that. One is nine, one is five. And my nine-year-old is exceptionally brilliant. I, don't, I, I know every dad says that about their kid, but I mean, straight A's, she goes to a magnet school. I mean, she's a very, very smart kid. And um, oftentimes my, my first, or my, my kindergartner, she's about to be in first grade, my, my kindergartner Vi will ask questions about certain things and, and Aya always gives her, you know, answers, you know, because she, she knows everything at nine years old, you know, so. And uh, so the other day I'm, I'm ironing or doing something in the bedroom and they're talking about St. Patrick's Day and Vi's like, what is St. Patrick's Day? And, and Aya, she goes, well, it's about the missionary St. Patrick who took the gospel to Ireland, and I'm like, wow, that's actually really impressive. And then she kept going on. She goes, to share the news of Jesus with the leprechauns. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, because <laughs> leprechauns need the Lord too, right? You know what I mean? So uh, I didn't correct her. I was just like, she's nine years old. I just, I want her to, I want her to still believe that there's leprechauns, right? So, uh, Oh, it was so cute, though. You know, like your conversations with your kids are, are so, uh, so interesting sometimes. But um, anyways, we're in the book of Acts. If you've never been to the church, we've been in this book for quite a while now. I don't, I don't know how many months now, six or seven, or it all blurs together over time, right? So uh, we've been in it for a long time. We're in chapter 18, though, today. And um, I don't have time to catch you all the way up to chapter 18, but let me give you kind of just a, a real brief synopsis of where we are. So the book of Acts is the book of the Bible about the birth of the church, right? So after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the book of Acts, and it's the men and women who follow Christ going out all over the world and sharing the message of Christ with people who hadn't heard it yet, okay? And so at this point in the story, we've been following a guy named Paul, and we're pretty much going to be following Paul from here on out. Like the rest of Acts kind of revolves and circles around Paul, okay? So he's already been through one missionary trip. We're in the middle of his second missionary trip. He's gone all the way from what is modern-day Turkey, the southeastern side, all the way across Turkey. He's crossed the Aegean Sea into uh, North Greece, planted a bunch of churches in North Greece. He's worked his way down into uh, kind of southeastern Greece. And last week, he was at a place called Athens, one of the most, arguably, one of the most important cities in the history of the world. And we found Paul sitting here teaching right next to the Parthenon, right up the hill from the uh, Agora, which was the Greek marketplace, to the most influential, affluential people in Greece, right? And so you find him talking about Jesus on Mars Hill. Maybe you've heard that term before, on, on Mars Hill. But we talked about last week a couple of different things. In Greece were many idols. They say more idols than there were human beings. And so we talked about last week, do we have idols? And not necessarily that these are always bad things, but are there things that we've taken that in and of themselves are not bad, but we have elevated them above what is truly important, above our relationship with God, relationship with our spouse or family, relationships with friends? Have we elevated things above those things? Okay. Second thing we asked is, if we have done that, which by the way, we all have, if we have done that, have we asked for forgiveness of that, repented of that? change the way we do things. Have we done that? And the third thing we talked about was the resurrection, because Paul talked about the resurrection. And we believe that Jesus was resurrected, but if we truly believe that Jesus was resurrected, we are resurrected too, both now spiritually and for eternity, we are resurrected and we are in a relationship 
with him. So we asked about that. Do we still believe that? Now this week, we're going to do all of chapter 18, and it's very straightforward. There's nothing um, super deep about this, or there's no huge metaphors you can really pull out. It's a really, really straightforward chapter. But here's what I hope to do with it. As we go through this chapter, we're going to meet three new people that are extremely important to the Christian faith. A woman named Priscilla, her husband Aquila, I wish my wife and I's named rhymed, but anyways, and then a third individual named Apollos. Now, what we're going to take from meeting these three is we're going to take out some fundamental things that made them effective, and we're going to see if we have those things in our life because we need them in order for us to be effective Christians. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. Very straightforward today, but at the end, we'll tie it all together, and uh, hopefully it'll encourage you and kind of bring some things together for you. Okay, so you should have a notes handout in front of you. Has everything I'm going to say on it. Um, if you have the version app, Y-O-U version app, uh, it's free. You can download that. It has all the notes and the scripture. Um, we're waiting on Apple to give us a go-ahead for our app. We have to wait for them to approve our little logo. So if you know Tim Cook, just give him a call and be like, hey, Hurry up and get that app thing done for the experience. He'll know exactly what you're talking about. And because uh, we, we're waiting on our app to be done. It's done. We just need Apple's approval. So um, anyways, and if you have a Bible, fifth book of the New Testament, 18th chapter, and we're going to do the whole thing, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll get done a little bit early, hopefully, and uh, you guys can enjoy the rest of your Sunday, all right? Okay. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this church, God, for, for people that can laugh and we can have a good time. And, but Lord, when we need to get serious, we can get serious as well. Thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to say what we're saying today and the freedom we have in this great nation to, to be able to speak freely about you. God, we pray, Lord, that you bless every church in our community. Bless all the great nonprofits that we work with, especially Stepping Stones that we're working with this month, God. Lord, keep your hand on all of us. Lord, let us be open-minded today. Let us be honest today. If there's anyone in this room who's not a believer, which I imagine there are, God, I pray, Lord, that they come in open-minded and that they feel welcome and comfortable, Lord. God, we pray that this honors you today. And we pray, Lord, that, that, that everyone in this room is blessed by your word. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, chapter 18. I'm gonna read a little bit. I will do my best to break it down and uh, we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. When he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, he had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Okay, so if you haven't been with us, before I get too deep into this, let me kind of show you where we are, all right? So on Paul's second trip, he starts off in what is modern-day southeastern Turkey. I know it says Syria there. Nowadays, it is southeastern Turkey. He starts there in a city called Antioch, his hometown travels all the way across, that red line at the top, travels all the way across to what is modern-day Europe, North Greece, works his way down. You see, last week we were in Athens right there on kind of the eastern coast a little bit of, of South Greece. Now we go west a little bit to the city of Corinth, okay? That's where we're hanging out this week. 
Now, this city, after he leaves Athens, goes a little bit west. Uh, the city of Corinth was very important. It was a trade city. It was a big city. It was very cultural, a lot of different things. And he meets a couple there, a Jewish couple, who is very, very successful and wealthy from making tents, right? It's a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and they owned a tent and leather uh, making company, right? Like a firm. They had locations in Rome, in Corinth, and in Ephesus, very successful. And so Paul also made tents to supplement his income. So he met this couple, they had a lot in common, and they got to become really, really good friends, as we'll talk about later. Now, the woman, Priscilla, she stands out. Now, there are a lot of phenomenal female leaders in the New Testament, but of, in the New Testament, but of all the female leaders in the New Testament, this one stands out. She's quite remarkable. Her and her husband are mentioned six times, I believe, in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And four of those six times, she is mentioned before her husband because she had a lot of impact on the church in the early days, right? So she's always mentioned with her husband. They're a team. They're both very knowledgeable. They're both very, very mature in their faith. When Paul met them, they were already Christians, very mature Christians. So Paul might have sought them out for guidance, for help, for mentorship from this older couple, okay? So he finds them out. And their spiritual connection and their occupational connection lasted a lifetime until Paul was murdered. And so Paul often spoke about his secular trade, right? What he did for a living besides teaching the gospel. And so what he and Priscilla and Aquila saw is that the marketplace was an opportunity to share their faith. That Christians need to be in the marketplace. They need to be in retail and in business and different kinds of occupations so people in those places can hear about Jesus. So what that means is this. There's no off time for the Christian. Just because you may not work in a church doesn't mean that you're exempt from doing the work of the church. Paul says there's no dividing line between the quote-unquote professionals, right, and the normal Christians. There's, there's no difference. God's commission to share the gospel, God's commission to serve the community and love people is not solely the responsibility of the guy on stage, right, or the musicians up here. It's all of our responsibilities. Wherever we are, whether we're janitors or accountants or pastors or real estate agents or students, whatever our lot in life is, we are to do it for the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. We're not just working for our occupational boss, we're working for the boss, right? So even if your job is a minimum wage, you know, flipping burgers at Burger King, do that to the best of your abilities with a good attitude, and yet that honors God, and it will get people's attention. Little side note, if you're working a minimum wage job, and you have a good attitude and you work hard, you're not going to stay at that minimum wage job, because hard work and a good attitude are very hard to come by these days. And I give you my word, someone will notice that, and God will honor you for your good attitude and hard work, and you'll be blessed and you'll get something else. I give you my word. But if wherever we are, whatever our lot is, do the best you can, work hard, have a good attitude, and that glorifies God, and it's a good example of Christ. We also see that it's a team effort. God didn't expect Paul to go out and single-handedly change the world. I mean, he did a lot, but he didn't do it alone. 
We see in Paul's journey that he was dependent on other people. He depended for financial help from a woman named Lydia who helped start a church in Philippi. That's where we get the book of Philippians. He had missionary help from from Silas and from Timothy and from Barnabas and from other people. And now we see he has mentors in his life, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, that were friends of his for 16 plus years. So what does that show us besides it just being a team effort? It shows us that the kingdom of God needs all kinds of people. We need people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. We need people of different colors and nationalities, different skills, all kinds of things. We pull that together, and when we work as a team, we advance the kingdom of God a lot better than if we're a lone ranger. We're not meant to be a lone ranger. We're meant to be community. And when we pull the resources of a community together, we're much more effective at reaching the world around us, okay? Modern picture of Corinth. Isn't that pretty? So when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching the Word of God among them. Now, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, Paul and his team had to kind of go separate ways and disperse because they were in fear for their life, right? So they reunited in Corinth, and his teammates, Silas and Timothy, brought some really good news. They said, hey, Paul, the church in Philippi, doing awesome. The church in Thessalonica, doing awesome. And by the way, the church in Philippi raised money, and here's some money for you so you don't have to focus so much on making tents. You can go out and share the gospel in Corinth. Now, what does that show us? That shows us that local churches need to go beyond just the local assembly. That means that we, we have a church of of, of 3,500 or something people at this church. We have money that comes in. We have resources that come in. We have good leaders at this church. So what a church like ours is called to do is not just focus on ourselves like a lot of churches do, right? It's just about our congregation. We are to be open-handed with our resources, i.e. money, right? Our resources, our talent, our time. And we are to invest in areas that are struggling. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you know this or not. If you give to this church, every year we give $30,000 to three different churches in New England, one in Burlington, Vermont, one in Manchester, New Hampshire. We have Abby coming down to speak at our ladies thing. And we give to uh, Salem, Massachusetts. Now in May, Kyle and I are gonna go to Albany, New York, because I think we're gonna pick up our fourth church up there. Now Albany is the capital of New York State. Do you wanna know what the biggest church in the capital of New York State is? less than 200 people. Now, here's what we're called to do. It's one of the least church cities in the country. Here's what we're called to do. Churches like ours that are bigger and have resources, right, 
are to pull our resources, identify areas that don't have the resources, and we are to strengthen them because it's not just about Murfreesboro, it is about the kingdom of God, right? So we are to advance the kingdom of God. You guys giving 40 grand now a year to other churches doesn't benefit us at all, but it benefits the kingdom, and that's what it's about. That's what it's about. So the Jews in Corinth weren't having it from Paul, right? (laughs) So Paul is teaching the word of God. He's teaching about Jesus and the Jews aren't digging it. So after sharing the gospel with the Jews in Corinth, they blaspheme Jesus. They resist Jesus. Paul shakes his clothes and says, I'm done with you guys, right? And this was Jewish symbolism. The whole shaking of the clothes things basically says, I'm moving on. And so what we learn from that is this. We're not responsible for people's responses. We're just responsible for planting the seed of the gospel, for watering the seed, cultivating it. But the Bible says only God can make things grow. So we are to present the gospel, love people, but if they don't want to hear it, we need to find someone who does want to hear it. And we need to move on, and that's what Paul does. So he moves on to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, right? After proclaiming that he's innocent, your blood is on your guy's hands, he meets a guy named Titius Justice. And this guy owns a house right next door to the synagogue. I find this funny, though it probably shouldn't be, right? So he converts this guy that's right next to the synagogue, and the first Christian church in Corinth is right next door to the people that hate Paul. Not only is it right next door to the people who hate Paul, the leader of the synagogue, the rabbi, becomes a Christian and converts. So they really hate Paul, right? They're not a fan of Paul at all. So not only did the church in Corinth start right next to the synagogue, the leader of the synagogue came over and started worshiping with the Christians. So not just the leader of the synagogue, it says that a lot of prominent people in Corinth converted. Business owners, politicians, leaders in the community, all these different people started coming to Christ. And so though this was awesome, it probably scared Paul a little bit too. Why? Well, if you haven't been with us, everywhere Paul went when he started converting people, he usually got beat up or thrown in prison. So all these prominent people start converting to Christianity, and he's like, it's coming, right? Someone's going to beat me up or throw me in jail. And so one night, he goes to bed. He's probably thinking these thoughts, and it says that he gets a vision at night from God. And Jesus shows up and says, Paul, you're going to be okay. No one's going to lay a hand on you because I have a lot of people who are going to be followers in this town. And so Jesus told Paul his foreknowledge. You're going to be successful here. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And what Jesus needed to teach Paul in that moment, and you and I need to hear this, God is not going to lead us somewhere just for us to fail. It's not what God does. So here's the thing. If we have a relationship with God, if we can learn to trust God, if we can learn to hear his still, small voice. Listen, I have never audibly heard God speak to me. I've met people who say they've audibly heard God. I've never heard it. But because I've had a tight relationship with Jesus for the last 16 years of my life, this is my 16th year, right? Going on my 16th year of having a relationship with him, I've learned to pick up on God's signals. I've learned to feel him and hear him, not audibly, but in my spirit, and I do what God wants me to do to the best of my abilities. Now, if we will do that, God will lead us into success. 
I don't mean success like the world means success. That's called the prosperity gospel, and it's garbage, right? Okay, just making sure we're on the same page there. If, any, if anyone ever tells you that you become a Christian, you become wealthy and everything's easy, make sure your wallet's still in your back pocket, okay? Because that's typically probably what they're after. Anyways, Jesus wants us to be successful, but not in the way the world sees it. God wants you to have a great marriage. He wants you to have good community, good relationships. He wants you to have a good family, a good work ethic. Ultimately, Jesus wants you to have a relationship with the Father, that is the success that God wants for you. True success, success that transcends from this life to the next, a big success. That's what he wants for you. Even in the Old Testament, people have this misconception of God in the Old Testament, the old vengeful God of the Old Testament. That's not true. The God of the Old Testament says through Jeremiah, I have plans for you, plans for your welfare, not for disaster. God doesn't want disastrous things to happen to you all the time. He doesn't want you to fail and your marriage to fall apart and your family to fall apart. He wants good things for you. He has a future for you. He has hope for you. That's what God wants. It's true success. Okay, next part. While Gallio was proconsul over Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. That's like the court. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. Obviously, he did not like the Jews. But if these are questions about words or names or your law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. After staying there for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Notice her name was first. He shaved his head because of a vow that he had taken. And when they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a little longer, he declined, but he said farewell, and he added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. On landing in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and he greeted the church, then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he set out traveling through one place and another through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. Now, I shouldn't, again, this is something that we shouldn't find funny, but it's very, very interesting. So after being in Corinth for about a year, all of the Jews that, that were seeing the church, the, the Christian church get bigger and bigger, they started hating Paul more and more till eventually they had a unified attack. They united together they went and got Paul. They drug him down to the governor. That's the proconsul. They drove, drug him down to the courts in front of the governor. And they said, this guy's been breaking our law. Now, here's the argument everywhere Paul goes. He's disrupting the peace, and he's teaching people to worship unlawfully. It's always the same argument against him. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul had been in this place 
a thousand times, right? Having to defend himself against the angry Jews about what he's doing. Now, right as he opens his mouth, he says, he's like, ah, he's about to give his defense. Essentially, the governor looks at all of them and says, I don't care, right? I don't care about you guys. Paul, I don't care what you have to say. Get out of my court. He didn't like the Jews. He was very anti-Semitic, right? And said, I don't want anything to do with you guys. If it's your problem, you guys deal with it. And he throws all of them out of the tribunal. Now, here's where it gets extremely interesting. The angry Jewish mob wanted to beat up somebody, so they went to their own synagogue, drug out their leader, and beat him in the streets. Now, if you're just reading this, you're like, Sustenus, who is this guy and why are they beating him? That's not very cool, right? Here's what we find out if we read the New Testament a little bit further. This is why it's important to read the whole book and not just snippets of it. We find out in the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter written to this church, right, that eventually this guy Sosthenes becomes a Christian. How do we know that? Because Paul opens up and writes to Sosthenes. So we can infer that even though he wasn't a Christian when he was working in the synagogue, that Sosthenes was becoming a Christian sympathizer. The angry Jewish mob knew that he was friends with the Christians, drug him out in the street, beat him. That was the last straw for him, I guess. He became a Christian eventually and helped lead the church in Corinth. Pretty interesting stuff. So Paul said farewell to the Corinthians, right? After staying in Corinth until about AD 52, now, a couple of weeks ago, I said it was the early 60s. It was the early 50s. I know you guys probably haven't slept in the last two weeks because you knew that I needed to correct myself on that. There it is. There's my apology. I was off a decade. I'm sorry. So Paul heads back to Antioch uh, through modern day, which is in modern day Turkey, and he's going to end his second missionary trip. His second trip is about to come to an end. So when it says that he shaves his head, a lot of people are like, well, why did Paul do that? More than likely, it wasn't Paul that shaved his head. It was Aquila that shaved his head. Paul didn't keep up with any of the Jewish customs for the most part anymore. Aquila probably did and was taking a Nazarite vow to shave his head. So that's probably not talking about Paul. So as they traveled back to Antioch, Paul makes a quick stop to debate. I find this funny, right? Hey, can I stop in here real quick and argue with these guys? It'll just take me a minute, right? So that's what he does. He argues with the Jews and then he tells the Christians, if God wills, I will be back. I'll see you again. He heads on to Jerusalem. That's where the mother church is. That's where the biggest concentration of Christians is at that point. He goes to Jerusalem. He says, hey guys, you know, everything's good. Good to see you. Hugs people. And then he heads back to Antioch, his hometown. Oddly enough, we don't know where Silas and Timothy are. Luke just kind of excludes them from here on out. We don't know where they are. We don't know what they're doing at this point. But Paul goes home, chills out, we think, for probably about a year he chills out. Isn't it funny when you're reading the Bible, you'll go from one line to the next, and in their time, a year has passed. But he chills out for about a year. He's going to leave. He's going to travel 1,500 miles to Ephesus, which is on the other side of Turkey in Asia Minor. He's going to go over there, and he's going to hang out with his friends, Aquila and Priscilla, where they've set up their shop, okay? All right, last part. We're going to meet one more person and we'll tie all this back together. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately 
about Jesus, although he only knew of John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So a man named Apollos came from Egypt. He would have been an African Jew. He came from Egypt, from the area of Alexandria. He was a very smart man, well-educated, knew the Old Testament very, very well, and believed in Jesus. Why he came to Ephesus, we're not really sure, but we're, we know that when he got there, he was telling everyone about Jesus Christ. Now, he taught everything accurately, but he didn't know the whole story yet. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week in chapter 19, but he only knew up to John the Baptist. So he didn't know about the rest of the gospel. He didn't know about the ministry of Jesus. He didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection, and he didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know any of that stuff. So he only had a limited knowledge of Jesus, and the knowledge he had didn't include an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And it didn't understand, he didn't understand that the Gentiles, non-Jews, non were supposed to be hearing about Jesus. So what happens is this. Priscilla and Aquila hear him. They're like, wow, this guy almost has it, right? But he doesn't know everything yet. So they take him aside and they teach him everything starting in what would be our Acts chapter 2. They fill him in on everything that has happened. Now, this is an interesting thing, and it's a side note, and I'm not trying to grind an axe here, but whenever people say that women are not allowed to teach at all or be involved in ministry in the church, we have a woman named Priscilla that taught a man named Apollos, and this guy became one of the biggest leaders of the Christian movement. It's just in the Bible, you know, it's just one of those things. But anyways, so after realizing that Ephesus was in good hands, so he saw this, Apollos, and he goes, dude, this town's taken care of, you guys got it, I'm going to go where they need me, right? So he leaves to go to Corinth where he was more needed, and he helped there. So if you've ever heard the name Apollos, he's mentioned several times in several different books of the Bible, he became a heavy hitter, one of the most important leaders of the first century church. He goes on to be a huge factor in the advancement of the church, not only in Corinth, but in other areas, and a very, very well-known speaker. He was very effective. Okay, so let's go back. There's four people that we really focus on in this chapter. Paul, that we've talked about a lot, but we met three new ones, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos, all four extremely effective Christians. Now, we learn from this chapter a couple of things that we need to know if we are going to be effective Christians, okay? Here's how we're going to tie it together. The first one is extremely important, and I'm going to hang on it for a minute. I know you guys probably know this if you're a Christian, but I think you need to be reminded. If we're going to be the men and women that we need to be for Christ, if we're going to be the fathers and the mothers if we're going to be the husbands and the wives, if we're going to be the employees or the employers, whatever our lot in life is, if we're going to be everything that we're supposed to be, we have to remember that not only does God love us, He wants the best for us. He wants us to live a life that honors each other 
And if we honor each other, we ultimately honor him. Now, here's the catch to that. And this may be the most important thing I say all day. So if you've ignored everything I've spoken about, please catch this one point. If we can start to understand that our value does not come from the things of the world, my value doesn't come from how many women look at me in lust or how many, you know, like, I don't know, how much I can bench press at the gym or my value doesn't come from how much is in my bank account or what my title is or what my successes are in life or a book I've written or whatever. That's not where my value comes. My value comes because I am a son of God. Please, I hope that resonates with someone. Young lady, your value is not based in your looks. It's not what makes you valuable. Young man, your value does not come by, by how hard you can work or how much money you can make or whatever your title is. That is not where your value comes from. If we can understand that our value comes from God, we do everything differently. Everything. When I realize that my value doesn't come from how you perceive me, but how he perceives me, I live my life completely differently. Completely differently. And guys, I know we amen it and we love that, but we don't always believe it. It's not real deep down inside of us. Because I'll tell you what, man, I can have 4,000 people on a weekend say, awesome, and I can have one say, you suck. And that's the only thing I think about until the next weekend. I give you my word. Because deep down inside me, I don't always remember that my value comes from him, not from you, and not from anyone else, and not the things that I've done. If you're going to be successful... If you're going to be the man or woman that you need to be for Christ, the mother, father, whatever your lot in life is, you have to understand that God loves you and that your value comes from God, okay? Step one. We saw that with Paul, right? Now we see it with ourselves. The second thing that you need to know, here comes reality, is that this life is tough. Like I said earlier, if you go to a church and they tell you prosperity, if they tell you everything's going to be okay when you become a Christian, again, make sure your wallet's still there, right? There's ulterior motives there when churches disregard what the Bible says and teaches this gospel of prosperity and health and wealth and everything's okay. How do we know that that's garbage? Because Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have troubles. What does that mean? In this life, you're going to have troubles, right? That's what Jesus says. Paul relates life to a marathon. You ever met these people that run marathons? They're an odd bunch, aren't they? I know there's some of you out there. I'm aware, right? But if you find joy in running more than 26 miles, that's crazy to me, right? I had a friend that ran the Boston Marathon one time, and he was training. His name was Robbie. And I said, well, how's your training going? He goes, dude, around mile 18, I start seeing things that aren't there. And I'm like, and you like that, right? That's, that's fun? I don't think you like run up with a microphone in the middle of like mile 20 to marathon. You're just like, hey, how is everything? They're like, it's so, it's splendid right now, right? This is great. That's not, I don't think anyone uses the word splendid anyways. So anyways, <laughs> Paul talks about life like a marathon. It's hard. Is it fulfilling? Are you healthier if you run marathons? All those things. But it's not always easy. There's a lot of blood and sweat and tears that goes in to a marathon, and that's what life is. It's a marathon. The Bible says that we're to run this marathon with diligence and with patience. It's not always easy. But here's the thing. If we have anything of value, it takes work. That's why everyone doesn't start a small business 
because it takes work. It's hard. There's a lot of time that's sacrificed. Guys, that's why everyone's not a Christian, because to be a Christian is difficult. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes us being willing to lay everything on the line for something else. It's hard. But guys, anything that is worth anything is going to be work. And with the inheritance that we get, our life is a blip on the map in the scale of eternity. And if we will work hard now, I know we're not saved by our works, but if we will be diligent and work hard now, our eternity, we're not gonna be sitting in heaven being like, man, and I read all of those chapters of the Bible over and over again. No, you're gonna be celebrating with Christ in paradise, right? Not thinking about the things that we gave up here, but what we inherited because of our hard work and sacrifice here and now. So Jesus loves you. He wants what's best for you. The, the, the second thing, or the third thing, I'm sorry, is that we need to know that we need to know. What does that mean? It means that we need to be knowledgeable in the word. Not only does the Bible say that you need to give a defense for why you believe what you believe. Listen, guys, that book contains the information on how to save your marriage. That book contains the information on how to save governments in countries. That book contains the information on how to have healthy relationships with people. It contains the information on personal finance. It contains information about how to handle conflicts. It has information about sex and sexuality. And it contains all the answers that we need in life. And if we're going to be everything that we're supposed to be, effective Christians, we have to be knowledgeable of the word. Of every single word in the Bible, no. I've been studying it for 16 years and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface but we need to at least know the core values of the Bible. You need to know the 10 commandments. You need to know what the gospel is and, and the story of Christ and why he died for us and how much he loves us. And we need to have a rudimentary knowledge of that book. Not only that, we need to have wisdom. That's a gift that God gives us, but it's a gift we have to ask for. The Bible says if you ask for it, he'll give it to you in abundance. We need that. We need to know that we need wisdom. If there is one gift of the Spirit that we need right now, it is wisdom. We need it. We also need to be educated on the works of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, guys. The Bible says don't be afraid of it. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant to it. Talks about that in the book of 1 Corinthians, actually. He doesn't say be afraid of tongues or interpretation or healing or miracles or faith or knowledge or wisdom or any other exhortation, the gift of teaching, the gift of hospitality. We don't need to be afraid of those things. We need to be knowledgeable about those things. Why? Because of the gifts of the Spirit, according to the Bible, edify the church and give glory to God. So we need to be knowledgeable about the gifts God wants us to have so we can lift each other up and we can honor God and build a stronger relationship with Him. Not only that, we need to know that we need to know God's will. And I don't know God's will for your life. You need to figure that out with God. And of course, make sure that it follows the Word of God or it's not God's will. But you need to talk to God. Why do we need knowledge? Why do we need to know that we need to know? Because without knowledge, we are incapable of achieving everything that God wants for us. But this book is given to us, the mind of God on paper. Please read it. Please pick it up and read it. The last thing that we need to know, God loves you. Life is hard sometimes. We need to have knowledge. And the last thing is, it's not all about you. 
the world constantly tells us that it's all about us. But we need to be like Apollos and we need to go to where the need is. Where is the need? It doesn't have to be on the other side of the planet. There's people at your work that need what you have. There's that woman at your work that no one wants to hang out with because she's got an awful attitude, because she's angry, because she gossips, because she's a backstabber. No one wants anything to do with this woman. But you know what God is telling some of you? You need to go build a bridge. You need to go. There's people at your school. Let me go there for a second, right? I wonder how many of these school shootings would have never happened if someone would have got up from the cool kid table and sat with that kid who sits by himself and talked to him and loved him a little bit. Listen, I'm not making an excuse for a kid that killed 17 other kids. I'm not doing that. But I know that the light penetrates the darkness. And I know that we are called to be that light and that salt. And I know that if you see that kid sitting over there and no one else will have anything to do with him, as a follower of Jesus, we are called to leave the 99 and go after the one. That's Bible. I'm just quoting Bible again. And go after the one that is over there, right? And how many lives could have changed? How many things could be different if we would make sure that it's not about us, but it's about, as the Bible says, even the least of these people. That's who we're to reach out to. But listen, you guys have those people at your work. You have those at MTSU. You have those working out next to you at the gym, right? You have them all over the place. You have them at the coffee shops you go to. You see them. You interact with them in some manner. But like Apollos, we need to go to where the need is because it's not just about us. God hasn't given us the light. There's so many people fumbling around in the darkness, banging up themselves, ruining relationships, suicidal, hurting. She wouldn't mind me talking about this, but I didn't talk about this at any other services, but a friend of mine came in from Tallahassee, Florida. Her family used to come to church here. Listen, and I'm not trying to like be emotional or whatever today. She had a 15-year-old daughter that was picked fetal, uh, fetal infant, um, fetal alcohol syndrome. And she got picked on a lot. So this little 15-year-old girl three years ago hung herself in the backyard. Her dad had to climb up into a tree and cut the rope where her daughter hung. I wish somebody would have reached out. We don't know what the results would have been, but instead of people who probably claim to be Christians picking on her, if some kids would have gone and sat with her at the lunch table, right? If someone would have reached out how would a family's dynamics would have been completely changed and altered. So I know it's uncomfortable so, sometimes, but Jesus said, I didn't give you the light so you could cover it up. I gave you the light so you could let it shine, so you could do good deeds for other people. Are we saved by those good deeds? No, but we've been saved, which should make us want to go do good deeds. How many times I have spit in the face of God, yet he still loved me and he still went after me and he still saved me. So when I look at that person on the other side of the building that I just don't have anything in common with, and quite frankly, I may not even like those people, how many times has God extended his arm to me? And he says, Corey, you now go and extend your arm to them. Show the grace to them that I've shown you. That's what we're called to do to let our light shine, to do good deeds. 
because it can save their soul and it gives glory to our Father in heaven. We don't do it so everyone can talk about how good we are, take a picture of me feeding a homeless person so everyone thinks I'm so wonderful. It's not about that. It's about that if we love Christ, we should also love people. And when we love people, it honors God. You know what God says one time throughout the word? How in the world can you say that you love a God that you don't see when you don't even love the people around you that you can see? We cannot be Christians and not love people. They don't go together. Jesus even said there's two commands that you need to follow. Love God first, put him first. And he says the second one is very, very similar. Love your neighbor. Similar. Listen, you need to know that God loves you. (laughs) There's someone in this room that needs to hear the simple lesson that God just loves you. He adores you. God has created hundreds of billions of galaxies. And in this vast universe, he cares more about you than everything else. He loves you. You need to hear that. You also need to know that this is gonna be a hard road to walk. It's not always easy, but God is with you and you will make it as long as you're with him. You need to be knowledgeable about your faith because everything's at stake. You need to be knowledgeable. Pick up the word, read, pray, Ask for God's wisdom and guidance. And you need to know that God hasn't saved you just for you. God has saved you to be a light in your world, whatever your world is. Wherever you hang out, wherever you go, right? Get to know people, love people, buy them a cup of coffee. Ask that woman in the office that no one likes to go to lunch sometime. Reach out. Is it uncomfortable? Heck yes. Will you get your heart broken? Heck yes but we do it because God has been good to us. And everyone you look at is also made in the image of God, not just you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, all around us we have communion. If you ever forget how much God loves you, God gave his only son while we were still sinners. (laughs) While you were doing the worst thing you've ever done, God still gave his only son for you. There's communion all the way around us wherever you see a lamp. There's bread and there's juice and that symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to take that, to remember, to reflect, to honor God. Before you do that though, you have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. It's the only prerequisite. There's also a lot of men and women up here at the front. If you need prayer for anything, I wanna encourage you. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be embarrassed by that. All of us need prayer. All of us need community. Let these men and women pray for you, please. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if there's any non-believers in this room, which I dare say there are, it may sound cheesy and you may not even believe it, but I feel the need to tell you, there is a God that loves you. He loves you so much that he sacrificed his only son for you. That's the truth. Maybe there's some Christians in this room that need to be reminded of that. You are the apple of God's eye. He knows every hair on your head, every move you've ever made, and he loves you. He loves you. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you. We praise you, God. I pray, Lord, that we can take this knowledge that we received today and that we can apply it to our lives, God. Lord, for everyone in this room, I pray that you bless them, keep them safe, give them strength. For any non-believers in this room, I pray that they felt welcomed and invited and that they'll come back. Lord, 
We pray that today has brought you honor. We pray, God, that it has blessed you, God, in some way, that you're proud of us. And we pray, God, that we can go out into our city and be the light that we need to be. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. It's in your name that we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're welcome to help yourself.